The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke from the ninth chapter. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days and told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. As I mentioned at the beginning of worship, today marks the end of three seasons of creation at St. Mark's. And for me, it seems fitting that the mountains would have the last word, because mountains are some of the most enduring parts of creation. When I went to the mountain last Monday, I sat on the shores of Reflection Lake here and looked at Rainier just as humans have done ever since people came here over 10,000 years ago. And then as I began to walk up toward the mountain from the parking lot at Paradise, I was not only struck by the colorful fields of heather and all the other fiery plants that are on the hillside as reminders of the change that is taking place right now, but I also thought about that great cauldron of fire that lies underneath her exterior beauty. It may seem timeless and unchanging, but in reality, Rainier and every other mountain on the planet are actually part of an unfinished creation that is living and dynamic and constantly, constantly in the process of transformation. Before going to the Rocky Mountains this summer, I started reading James Mishner's book about Colorado called Centennial. And knowing his writing style, I wasn't surprised when Mishner began his story about the Rockies with the description of magma at the center of the earth that solidified into rock over three billion years ago. And then Mishner says, over a period of 10 million years, a mountain range known as the Ancestral Rockies emerged. They must have looked eternal to any other creatures around them. But after another 40 million years of steady degradation, those first mountains were completely gone from the face of the earth. But it wasn't the end of the story. About 300 million years ago, a new formation began to penetrate the Earth's surface 
and the Rockies that we see today were born. I love the way Mishner talks about them as if they were our own family. The Rockies, he says, are therefore very young and still in the process of building and eroding. And no one can calculate what they will look like 10 million years from now. They have, he says, the extravagant beauty of youth. And they are mountains to be loved. I hear that and I think about the ever-changing nature of all things in God's creation, including our human existence and our existence as both individuals and communities. Psalm 103 says, you know well how we are formed, O God. You remember that we are but dust. As for mortals, their days are like the grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it is gone, and its place shall know it no more. Along with Psalm 103, however, there are many other psalms which praise the renewing and regenerating power of God who makes all things new. And they remind us that the passing of our lives and of our communities, even of our countries and empires, is never the end of the much bigger and unfinished story of creation. There are hints of that in the opening lines of our gospel reading today. When Jesus says, when Luke says, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. A careful reader will want to know what these sayings of Jesus are that Luke refers to, which requires going back and learning that Jesus had just been speaking to his disciples about his own dying and rising. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering, Jesus had said, many times, and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Like mountains that are torn down by forces that seem to have ultimate power, Jesus knew that his life would be destroyed by the forces of hatred and greed and arrogance in his time. But he also knew that God would raise him up again. Like young mountains that break through the surface of the earth filled with extravagant beauty and love. I hear that in a very realistic and hopeful way. The realistic message for me is that there are forces in creation which will always erode and break down things that have been built up. And it starts at a very personal level for all of us. Right now, while we sit here, there are things within us and around us that tear us down little by little and break down often the life that God has created within us. The most natural force, obviously, is that of aging. We may fight it with all of our best weapons, but every human body, including yours and mine, will eventually be reduced to the earth from which it came. 
Other forces at work, of course, are the diseases that break down our bodies and erode our well-being. And then there is the destructive power of things like self-centeredness and mistrust and violence and hatred and all of the other things that, that work their way into our system and break down the sacred life that is there. But at the same time, we know and we trust that God is always rebirthing and renewing life within us and all around us. When we commit the bodies of our loved ones to their final resting place, we always remember the promise of new creation. And we trust that God can raise them up and us to eternal life. And the same is true in every sacred moment when we see love regaining power over hate and peaceful coexistence over violence and truth over carefully guarded lies. The same is true when we see bodies and minds and spirits healed by God's creative power. And when we feel a force of hope building up within us after times of suffering and grief. And what is true in our small circle of life is true in all creation. Going into the Senate confirmation hearings this past week, I think many people in our country felt like we were sitting on a mountain that was shaking violently and smoking like Sinai, or maybe even threatening to erupt. And as the drama unfolded, it was clear that things were being torn down and built up in every tense hour of the day. Then we came to church today and heard Bible readings which remind us that God inhabits all of those chaotic places where powerful forces collide. I'm especially struck by the last sentence of the Exodus reading where the storyteller says that as Moses went up to the mountain, he drew near to the thick darkness where God was present. We all have our gut feelings about the people who were questioned at the Senate hearings, but I couldn't stop thinking about every victim of sexual violence that was watching or listening on Thursday and Friday. I'm sure that many of them felt themselves being pulled back into thick darkness. And I can fully understand if any of those also felt that God was not there with them in that darkness. Or that the mountains of power and privilege are so firmly in place that nothing will ever erode them or break them down. In the end, I'm convinced that Jews preserved this Exodus story that we heard today so that they would never forget that God is there in the thick darkness of this world and in all the places that we fear the most. And I'm convinced that Christians preserve that story of what happened on the mountain of transfiguration so that we will never forget that Jesus is a brilliant light that shines in every dark and foreboding place. 
And finally, I'm grateful that both stories situate us on a mountain. Because I think we are at one of those moments right now when the mountain underneath us is rumbling and shaking with a kind of energy that can break down centuries-old formations of power and raise up new ways of living together as men and women that are filled with beauty, extravagant beauty and love. From my resting spot high on the mountain last Monday, I watched as clouds rolled in over the peak of Rainier. At times it was totally obscured, and in other moments you could see just a portion of it, as if you were looking through a window. It was a poignant example of how our minds and spirits perceive God or not in the midst of all the change and uncertainness and growth in our lives. But whether we see the mountain or not at any given time, we know that it is always there. The psalmist says, God is our God forever and ever. Through all of the change and the uncertainness that shake the foundations even of this world, through all of the building up and the breaking down, through all of the dying and rising, that is the one great certainty that will never change. So hold it fast today with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength and let it hold you forever and ever. Amen. If you have prayer cards, just please hold them up and the ushers will come and gather them. <laughs>